This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. The Bigger Picture. Going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day. This is Simon Rose. Joining me for The Bigger Picture today is Tim Evans, Professor of Business and Political Economy at Middlesex University in London. Tim, what is our first topic today going to be? The first topic is um, has to be an article written by Madeleine Grant in The Telegraph because it pretty much summed up um, well, they've actually been welling up inside me, I realised, um, but it articulated and surfaced everything so well um, in recent weeks. Um, yes, something called the, the politics of nothingness in Gulf Britain. Um, I, I know that from time to time, um, you know, we can have moments of optimism and moments of pessimism. And people on the left uh, obviously don't like um, the, the, the Tory government and people on the right didn't like Corbyn and don't like um, uh, the, the current Labour Party. But what Madeleine Grant basically points out is that actually we're now living in a sea of nothingness, that, that, that there are very few uh, in British politics, left, right, up or down, who are seemingly principled, uh, who have a coherent sense of direction, who have clear and articulate policies, um, you know, where is this government going? Um, I've no idea. Uh, what what does the Labour Party... Today? Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. What does the Labour Party stand for today? Um, no idea. You know, what's everyone's ideological direction? I mean, at least in the past with Margaret Thatcher, uh, you knew where you were, or as a diplomat... <laughs> Yes. famously said once we're with her you normally stand in the corner of the room but you know yes. Tony Blair you understood what the deal was it was kind of robust on defence fairly free market economy but a fair degree of money for the NHS and social justice now we're faced with an entire political class that seems to vacillate and literally is very difficult to decode what do they stand for increasingly it's difficult to know Yes, rather depressing. I mean, to some extent, like you, reading the piece, you sort of felt, yes, you've got it exactly, but that doesn't make it any less depressing. It doesn't. And I wonder if that, in a sense, we're asking too much of our politicians that they all, many of, you know, many of the current politicians and the leadership, be it in the government or in the opposition, these are people who have been involved in politics, enthused by it, interested in it for decades um and they would have come into into politics with all kinds of principles and ideological baggage a baggage that has had to sustain them on the intellectual journey of their adult and professional lives but in some ways lots of that old baggage i think no longer suffices i mean a lot of the modern debate in politics you know are you free market are you market liberal? Do you believe in more nationalization or privatization, higher or lower taxes? When you've got a state that is hovering around the cultural peak of Laffer curve and is roughly taking 40% of GDP through taxation, 
arguing over a penny more or a penny less isn't exactly, you know, that exciting. Another billion or so for the NHS, will it make a difference? Won't it? Has anyone got the guts to make substantive reform? Do the electorate want that? Probably not. So it seems to me that that, that, that we're in this malaise, not because the politicians are wicked or terrible, but it's more surely that they're a product of, of, of almost an era coming to an end. Um, they're corks that are bobbing on the tide of, 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 of this history. Yes. And, and, and they can't control the moon of that tide. I'm reminded that in, you know, in the 1830s and 1840s, one of the, one of the big issues in British politics, because British politics even at that point was so infused with, with, with that age's sense of morality and questions of religion. You know, one of the, the febrile topics of the day was how do vicars and rectors dress? And you, know, you could tell by their dress whether they were sort of a liberal radical, you know, someone who was at the cutting edge of the rocks pioneers or whether they were more stolid um uh you know middle of the road tory type but of course how vicars dress quite frankly is on the moon today it's no longer relevant yes. no, true wonder- but we do have relevant problems today and we're going through a cost of living crisis that you know has not been seen since the the 70s and what comes from either side or any quarter of the house i mean absolutely nothing nobody is it's not even as there are many voices suggesting what should be done and the government's ignoring them you're getting absolutely no proper policy at all and, and as madeline grant says in her piece you know the prime minister once promised to be a freedom-loving conservative he's governed as an illiberal technocrat moving the party closest as closer to socialism than any prime minister since the pre-thatcher days indeed but this is not simply a problem in britain when you look at Germany, you know, you have a sort of SDP Green Alliance that is busily uh, reopening, you know, uh, coal uh, mm. mines for this winter. Um, in France, Parliament... Yes, so they're doing something. Well, but in France, politics is polarised yep. to the left and the right. The point is that we're living in a weird age where the mandate upon which politicians are elected um, often does not suffice. And when they do do something like the reversal um, uh, uh, that we just mentioned in Germany, um, yes, they're reacting, but will it make a really great or substantial difference? Will it win votes? Is it going to be really popular? And will it make a substantial difference? And, and my feeling is that that sense of excitement about politics, the sense that politics can make a meaningful difference, that somehow that is draining away in a way that I have never seen in in my 56 years, certainly. But it is depressing, surely, isn't it? There are very serious problems that need to be tackled. I mean, this piece is basically saying that news outlets and indeed the public no longer have the ability to think far ahead. So what's the point in politicians trying to plan for the future and solve the big problems it's much easier just to come out with some sort of declaration about something you can do now and knowing that nobody's going to actually hold them to account because nobody remembers what they said the week a week ago yeah and that sense of crisis that sense of uh, of of the inability to affect substantive and meaningful change that sense it strikes me often comes at the end of eras, of epochs, um, you know, 
with the arrival of the 1911 National Insurance Act, um, it was that act that sort of ended the, the laissez-faire era of the 19th century. Mm. Um, you know, uh, after two world wars, and then the creation of the NHS and, and, and the sort of the five giants of the welfare state, if you will, that ended, you know, the era that had gone before. And it seems to me that the era that we have known of, um, you know, sort of uh, democracy, free market economy, um, um, and, and the old levers of, 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 of the welfare state sort of knocking off, off the harsher edges of, of capitalism, that, that somehow people's expectations for ambulances, for pensions, for healthcare, for police services, that their expectations are outpacing what voters as taxpayers and politicians are able to deliver. And that therefore the old discourse that we've been familiar with for many, 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 many decades through all manner of Tory and Labour governments, that it's slightly running its course. It's almost as if a lot of these institutions um, have or are reaching their end. I mean, for goodness sake, the Metropolitan Police, you know, which goes back really to 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 to, to the peelers and, 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 and the reforms of 1829, that is now in special measures. Um, um, and, you know, is it that, that we're at the end of an era and that the future is much more online, much more um, uh, digital, much more cyber? Um, is it that we're gonna have to rethink very fundamentally what we mean by money? You know, what will the future of crypto bring? What will the impact of that future be on our concept of central banking? You know, the Bank of England dates back to 1680. Are we at a moment where, um, you know, something revolutionary is afoot? Now, I don't know the answer to these, but it seems to me that in this world of political blancmange, in this world of, of nothingness, this sort of stasis, that, 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 that there could be um, dramatic institutional changes afoot. Not quickly, I don't mean the next year, but I do mean the next decade, two or three. One of those revolutionary inflection points that can create great upheaval as well as great change. Tim, thank you. Good moment then for us to take a break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Bigger Picture on Share Radio, where I'm in conversation with Tim Evans, a professor at Middlesex University in London. Tim, what's our second topic, please? Um, a really good article in an opinion piece in The Guardian uh, that was called Children Aren't the Future, where have all the young climate activists gone? And I found this article fascinating because again, 
um, it, 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 it was a question that had been sort of surfacing in my mind in recent weeks. My daughter, um, who, who um, is 16, came home from school, uh, uh, I think it was 2018 or 2019, and there'd been a debate in school, as there often is about the climate, and the, uh, a friend had said, uh, a committed uh, climate activist friend had said that she believed that the world only had 11 months left to deal with global warming. And um, we debated it. And I said, well, I'm not a scientist. I'm not able to judge. But I thought that the prospect of us only having 11 months um, to turn things around was fairly stark. And, and, and as often happens, the months and then the years went by, COVID came about, then the war with Ukraine. And, and for some time, I think we forgot you know, that, 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 that conversation that has started in school. Well, this article in The Guardian, as I say, it's called Children Aren't the Future, uh, Where Have All the Young Climate Activists Gone, is really, really interesting because it, it points out in, in, in some detail that between uh, 2016 and 27, uh, 2020, lots and lots of young people, lots of school children, were a really potent force at the center of Britain's climate movement. There were youth strikes. Um, in the US, there was a thing called the Sunrise Movement. There were teenagers like Vanessa um, Nakate and Greta Thunberg, who were, you know, in Time magazine, and, and Greta Thunberg was person of the year in 2019. Mm, yes. You know, this was, this was the moment that saw the rise of Extinction Rebellion. You know, this was a powerful force. And, and it, it, it was the first time for a long time that lots of school children had been involved. Those of us old enough to remember, remember that there was something similar with the peace movement in the first half of the 1980s. I, I, you know, lots and lots of young people, there was something called the National Union of School Students, I think at the time, they were heavily involved with the campaign for nuclear disarmament, that, that fear and that horror of nuclear war, you know, ran riot in British schools, particularly secondary schools. So what's really odd um, in, in, in the world we inhabit now is how following, you know, COVID and following um, in, indeed the, the war with Ukraine, things have gone relatively quiet. And at the moment, um, it seems that um, the, 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 the child activism, if you will, um, has taken a bit of a back burner. Now, of course, there were politicians back in 2016, 2018, and adults and political movements that were quite happy to co-opt um, and and capitalise on 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 on, on 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 these children. But but boy, have things gone quiet at the moment. And in fact, to test the waters, I asked my daughter a little while ago. You know what had happened to that um, to that view that the world was going to um, reach a tipping point 11 months down the line, you know, was, was it still being discussed at school? And she sort of shook her head and the answer was, no, it's not. And then I said, what are the big issues now? And well, she wasn't really sure. There was nothing in her face, as it were, nothing in your face about yes. what, what was going on. And it's just odd how you get these sort of, um, this sine wave, you know, this, these, 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 great moments where these movements cascade and become very powerful but then the wave dies away and i think at the moment we're in a we're in a very much in a trough 
where things are comparatively quiet. So my question is, I wonder what the next thing will be. Yes, the piece talks quite a lot about youth washing, which I confess was a phrase I hadn't heard of before, but basically the idea that um, uh, world leaders, um, companies sort of get these youngsters to talk to them, but don't necessarily pay them actually much attention. They'll give them a platform, but they won't necessarily amend their behaviour in any way. Indeed. And one of the really, I mean, one of the really interesting things um, in political sociology uh, is the way that an awful lot of people who have an allegiance to a political movement, uh, it could be the Labour movement, it could be the Labour Party, it could be the Conservative Party, you know, you might be a Methodist and yeah. also a, a voter for the Liberal Democrats. Um, an awful lot of, of those worldviews are formed within individuals um, or indeed in families um, um, in, in key moments of youth. Um, you'll find, for example, that an awful lot of families who have said, oh, we always vote Labour. If you actually go back through the family history, you'll find that something triggered that family tradition, a sort of an inflection point, something like the 1904-05 Dockers strike. Or you'll find for a lot of you know, slightly younger voters, um, you'll find that, um, um, I, know, I don't know, let's say people now in their 50s, 60s, that, that, that somehow the inflation or the winter of discontent in the late 70s triggered them to be conservatives. You know, this works for all sides. Mm. Um, I wonder the extent to which, um, um, or I wonder what the ideological views will be, what the philosophical underpinnings will be for young people and how things like climate change or gender politics will, will seep into British politics and inspire people to go into politics you know, uh, and impact families potentially for decades to come. Yes, which sort of links back into our first um, piece, really, doesn't it? Um, so let's take a pause and we will change topic once more. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Bigger Picture on Chair Radio, where I'm talking to Tim Evans, professor at Middlesex University. And uh, Tim, uh, our third and final topic, please. The, the, the final topic is an article um, called Secular Britain is Reviving Christianity's Rituals. I found it fascinating. Um, uh, the author, who again I, uh, is Madeleine Grant, um, she's written two pieces that inspired me for, for, for this interview, um, uh, Basically, what she argues is that World Refrigeration Day, Rat Catchers Day, Day of the Armed Forces of Azerbaijan, International Women's Day, all the days that, that, are, that are increasingly, it seems to me, celebrated um, in this country and other countries around the world, that in a strange way, they fill um, a void um, that has come about sort of in, in a vacuum of, of ever more rationalistic and secular societies. I think it was, you know, it was, it was that great sociologist Max Weber, um, uh, who 100 years ago argued that science and rationality um, uh, was making, not only making the world more intelligible and the universe more intelligible to human reason, but that, um, but, but that basically uh, it was um, 
uh, uh, disenchanting the world, that the world was no longer the magical world of superstition and enchantment, that the world was becoming knowable. And that, 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 that it's in that sort of vacuum of faith and belief mm. um, that, that, that humans will seek new forms of meaning. Now, Weber was arguing that in the late Edwardian period and through the 1920s, and here we are today, um, with an ever greater calendar of 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 days or months, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm just what? looking up today. I mean, there's these very American skewed, but it is Worldwide Knit in Public Day, National Meteor Watch Day, and one you wouldn't think was necessary, Social Media Day. Quite how you celebrate that, presumably on social media, but I yeah. mean, and ridiculous. It- and, and, and if you go to Congress, whether you're in the House of Representatives or if you're in the Senate, you will find members of Congress who are doing speeches to, you know, mention these days or attending events. Mm. Be, you know, they, they will have the lapel uh, pins um, um, on their suits, on their blouses or whatever. And, and what's fascinating about this is that the secular calendar increasingly resembles actually the medieval one um you know there used to be sort of a patron saint for every day um and 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 it would give you a sense of meaning and of place and where you were and what you were to celebrate and and reflect well in a way that medieval calendar is now busily being recreated um and i found that insight absolutely extraordinary um of course during the french revolution um uh the French revolutionaries um, it, it attempted to introduce a revolutionary calendar. Um, uh, it was to start with year zero, year zero uh, which, which sort of began with the storming of the Bastille. Um, also in the Soviet Union, I think Stalin for a time uh, tried to create a new form of rationality with a new form of clock. I don't think he liked the oddity of a 24-hour day or 60 minutes and 60 seconds and and for a time he experimented with something called soviet time which again i think it was supposed to be either you know 10 hours a day and 10 minutes per hour and Mm. 100 seconds per and all that um um but but humans have a remarkable propensity even when they think they're involved in dramatic and revolutionary change you know when when marx said that religion is the opium of the people and max weber described this more secular age and that we now live in a more secular and dynamic and technological and and, uh, you know uh, scientific world how actually below the radar screen we then busily recreate meaning Mm -hmm. with with almost quasi religious quasi medieval um 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 days and uh, boy if you you know if you don't celebrate <laughs> the days um and 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 some of the activities you know that um that that that, that have become de rigueur boy can there be all kinds of pestilence and a medievalist upsetment coming your way Yes, much the same as not clapping for the NHS in the other days of the, 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 the pandemic, I guess. Um, I, yeah, it, the, 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 it was the stuff about the French Revolution that fascinated me. I hadn't realised they were, they want to get rid of any day observance that had anything to do with religion or um, uh, the royal family. So they, they celebrated household objects and said somebody had to come up with 365 of them, or presumably an extra one for a leap year. The, they celebrated the shovel, the mule, the artichoke. And the watering can. I would love to know the day of the watering can. I, I mean, that's just 
utterly it, extraordinary. I have to say, I mean, I think even if it, if even if there is no longer a day of the water in Cannes, um, I think it should be brought back. Yes, <laughs> and the day of the shovel and the mule. Yes, <laughs> and indeed the artichoke. Um, she was also saying that, um, I mean, uh, celebrities Stephen Fry, Prue Leith and a few others are backing a, a new event. There's going to be a celebration day, the one day in the year when we can uh, commemorate the lives of people who are no longer here. Though, as she pointed out, you know, frankly, that's All Souls Day. Indeed, but it is, um, you know, in, in a more secular and, and, dare I say, humanist wrapping, I believe... Uh, that Stephen Fry is a great believer in humanism, and of course, what that's about is it's 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 not arguing that you die and you live forever, you know, and you're redeemed in heaven, or that you meet God. No, it, it, the the argument is that your your work is left behind, your memory in the minds of those who remember you and who loved you, led by it, etc., and that 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 in that secular sense, your life is to be celebrated. So I think there is a, uh, a qualitative difference, um, but, but ultimately, you know, yes, it's about us trying um, to find meaning and remembrance and, and, and days of celebration, which um, would not be unfamiliar, let's put it like that, to many people a thousand or 2000 or further back years ago. Jim. Thank you. Fascinating as ever. I've been in conversation with Tim Evans, who's Professor of Business and Political Economy at Middlesex University in London. Um, he'll be back talking to me on The Bigger Picture in a fortnight's time, while Mike Indian will be back this time next week. That's it, though, for The Bigger Picture for now. The Bigger Picture, going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day.